This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. By Yaakov 5782. We're going to be dealing with two psukim today. The first one is in Parag Lamed Hay, Pasuk Yudal says, As Mishkan Vesalovis Mechseu, the Mishkan, its tent, all of its covers, as Krisav Veskroshav, as well as its hooks, its boards. It says, As Brichav Vesamudav Vesadonov, its bars, its pillars, as well as its sockets. So, first, let's deal with this Pasuk. Rash says the word Mishkan refers to the bottom Urios, the Urios that were on the very bottom, the ones that were attached to one another, right? There were 10, 11 of them, right? Altogether, they covered the tops of the beam by the oil moed itself. There were 10 of these, each one connected to one another, right? And we talked to previous years about the 10 versus the 11. They were made out of three dyed wools, in other words, the scarlet, the purple, and the blue wool, the trelas, as well as the linen. That was what they were made out of. The ohel reversed the the Urios on top of those, those are the Urios Ezim, made of the goat hairs that went on top of the Urios. They're called an Ohel earlier on Parachavvav Pazak Zion. And the Mechsa refers to the two top Urios, the one of the Oros Elam Ma'adamim, the red ram skins, the ram skins that were then dyed red, and the Tachash, and that's what it refers to them. The Sivsei Chachamim over here says that the word Mishkan cannot be a general term just for the entire Mishkan, which you'd think it would be, because it makes no sense. The next words are S Ohalo. So it's like as a Mishkan, it should be, for example, something else. It should say something like that. It shouldn't just go into another part. It sounds like Mishkan and Ohel are equal to one another in some way, shape, or form. And that's what the Gorari and the Mizrahi say. It sounds like the Mishkan is not a general term. There would have to be something that differentiates between the two, and nothing differentiates. So we know that it can't be that. The Nitziv, however, in Perik Lamed Tes, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, he rejects this whole idea. He says the Mishkan is really a general term that refers to the entire Mishkan. All refers to the different types of things, the different types of Urios, not just the Urios Ezim. And he goes through why over there, and he speaks about it over oh, there in Lamed Tes, Lamed Gimel, so it's not here in this week's Parsha, next week's Parsha. Maskul David, he wonders why the Mechsehu is written in plural form, which is weird, it should be Mechseh, right? It's Mechsehu, um, I'm sorry, I said it wrong, is written in singular form, which is Mechseh, when it refers to two different types of things, the Mechseh of the Tachash skins, as well as the Oros Elam Adamim. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You should think, if anything, it would refer to just one. So he says that Moshe Rabbeinu could not have asked them to bring the Tachash skins. That's impossible. The Tachash only existed Shah just for the Mishkan, according to Rashi. And if it only existed at that time, and only for the Mishkan itself, Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't have asked them to be able to get it. They wouldn't know what it was. There's no way to understand it. He was only Ask them to bring the ram skins, that's the mechseu, and then also that it would include the tachash skins, even though they didn't know it yet, there was no way they could actually donate that. The Bear Basada doesn't understand this answer. He says these psukim weren't telling them what to bring. The psukim were telling them what they were going to build. They just had to donate something because they had all of this stuff to build. So it doesn't make any sense to be able to say that. He says the question isn't a problem anyway, because mechseu refers to something that covers, whether it's singular or plural. You wouldn't say covers necessarily, you would say cover, I guess in Hebrew it works that way, and that's the only reason why I say it. That's how the Bear Basada puts it. Now, the Ramban says the reason why we go over these psukim again, even though we've done this before, we know exactly what they are, is in order to show the people that they were going to need a lot of donations to make this Mishkan happen. It wasn't just going to be like that. They had to do something in order to make it happen. This way, they would know there was a ton for them to do, and that way, they would get themselves more involved. That's what the Ramban puts. It was a beautiful shot to be able to get them more involved. The Abarbanel says the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu mentioned them again over here is because some people would know how to make the Rios. Other people were going to know how to make the Menorah. There were other people who were going to know how to make the Krushim. This way, any 
anyone who had a particular skill that would be good in making any of these kalim for the Mishkan would speak up and say, oh, that's something that I know how to do. So he said it out loud and he said, this is what we need. This is what we're going to have to build. This is what's going to be needed for the Mishkan. And then everybody who would be able to do so would get up and do so, which is a pretty amazing thing. Now, the Ramban explains that some of these kalim have a hay in front of them. For example, as Hamishkan. Well, then it says, as Olo, where it doesn't have a hay in the beginning of it. Krusov, Krushov, Brichov, Amudav, Adonov. None of those have a hay. But Hashochan, Ha'aron, Ha'kaporos, they have an, a hay in front of them. Why is that? He says, it must be, he says, because those that have a hay have a certain size that the builders would need to know more information about them. And therefore it says, Ha'aron. What's the Aron? Oh, I'll tell you. Ha'mishkan, whatever the Mishkan referred to, it would refer to something that had a certain size. And therefore they would know that they just, they exist and they have it. The other Kalim just tell them what they are. That's how the Ramban says. That's why it is a hay over there. The Chizkuni points out something interesting, that inanimate objects can be either masculine or feminine. He gives a bunch of different examples and he goes through, he says from the word Machanet, the word Ruach, the word Esh, the word Solas. I've seen, there's a big Rashi about this. It's earlier. This is true even by animals sometimes he says that's why the word amudav is pluralized as if it's in a zakhar while adoneha is referring to nekeva because since an inanimate object inanimate object so therefore it could be either one referring to the claim and the other to the chutzar itself it's possible it could be one refers to the claim one refers to the chutzar and that's why one's masculine one's feminine but it could be that each one of them switch off that's how the chizkuni says it now the orachayim says one other anomaly in the pasuk is that we see not just in this pasuk but in the pasuk and following some of these words have an above in front of them and some of them don't for example again es hamish so we ask the question, it says, why does it have a vav in the beginning of it? Why is there a vav right in the beginning of that word? So he says the following, if there's no vav, if there's no vav in front of it, that means that the next kli is a brand new form of Kedusha. So for example, there's Es HaMishkan, that's the top level, and then afterward, Es Ohalo, but on the same level of Ohalo is the Es Mechsehu. Next level down, Es Krasov, the Es Krasov, the same level. Then Es Brichov, Es Amudov, the Es Adenov. And one after the other, they're each trying to say that they're equal if there is no Vav, if there's one level down. If there is a Vav, then it's equal to one another. They all have the exact same thing. That means the Mishkan, which means the bottom Urios, the Rios that are on the bottom, right on top of the Mishkan itself, the 10 slash 11 Urios that were tied together, those right there were on a higher level than the Urios Izim or anything else on top of it. And it makes sense. The reason why is because they saw the inside of the Mishkan itself. These Urios were just there. There was no other covering. They were right on top of the the Aron Kodesh, on top of the Shulchan, on top of the Menorah, on top of the Mizbeach. So because of that, they had a certain more Kedusha that the Urios Ezim, which were on top of them, did not have. And that's the reason why it goes one down. However, the Ohel and the Mechset, which is referring to the Urios Ezim and the Tachash, etc., they're on equal level because they couldn't see the inside and it doesn't make a difference what level they're on. They are equal to each other and therefore there's a Vav in between them to say that they're on an equal level right over there. The same next level down was the Hooks, which are the same level of Kedusha as the boards and the sockets. Same true for the next Pasuk where it says the Aron and the Poles had the same Kedusha as the Aron because they were attached to the Aron and never left them. But the Kaporis and the Parochas were on a lower, albeit equal, level. They were considered on a lower level itself. The Havetzelos Hashiron wonders how the Kaporis and the Parochas, even though the exact same letters, why were they on the same level? The Kaporis covered the Aron Kodesh. You'd think they have access to the Luchos. The Parochas just divided between the Kodesh of Kedushim and the Kodesh. How could you say they have the same exact level? See, answers that Remichel Feinstein suggests that the purpose of the Parochas was not just to separate from the Kodesh and the Kodesh of Kedushim, 
but to cover the Aron Kodesh from being seen. That essentially is the same exact job as the Kaporis on the Aron to cover the Luchos from being seen. The Kaporis covered the Luchos, nobody could see them. The Parochas covered the Aron, no one could see it. They both had the same purpose, therefore they have the same level of Kedusha. The strange thing is that the Kaporis and the Aron were of two different levels of Kedusha. That the Aron and the Kaporis, which is right on top of it at a different level, with the Kruvim on top, there's a Tosta Rush in Rosh Hashanah, Chav Dalar Mabez, who says the Aron and the Kaporis were considered one Kli. And that's why we're saying, when we say you're not allowed to copy the Aron, that really means you're not allowed to copy the Aron with the Kaporis and the Kruvim on top. Now, you'd wonder, in and of itself, you'd probably assume that it's usher to make the Kruvim anyway because it's an idol. So that would be something that would be usher if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't tell you to do it. But the truth is, this is something which you have to have by both of them together. According to the Rush, you'd think that the Kaporis would be the same level of Kedusha as the Aron since they're the same Kli. And you can't make one without the other. I mean, you could, but it's not considered one kli without the other. So it's just a strange thing altogether. But it seems, according to Orachayim Kadosh, that the Kaporis and the Parochas were equal, but the Aron Kodesh was on a higher level. The Torah more points out that the Kruvim are not mentioned here. If you notice, there's no Kruvim. The, they don't say about the Kruvim. He suggests it's because this was told to the entire people. Vayakel Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu gathered everybody together. There were men, women, and children there. And perhaps even some of the Arab Rav, even though he had kicked most of them out, it could be that one or two stragglers were inside there. They wouldn't understand why a Kodesh Baruch wanted to have Kruven inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim itself. They wouldn't understand this because you tell that to special people, they would say like, okay, this is what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wants. You tell it to people who don't necessarily get it, they're going to be like, wait, there's what? You have what? You have idols, statues inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim on top of the Aron Kodesh and that's where the Shekhinah comes from, where the voice of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, so to speak, comes from in between the Kruvim. They would say that that's strange, that's weird. Why in the world would that be? They wouldn't understand it whatsoever. So because of that, they didn't say it the Farish. They said the Kaporis and with the Kaporis, obviously the Kruvim were made from the Kaporis itself, so it was included within the Kaporis. but nonetheless, we did not say the Kruvim straight out because he didn't want the people to know what the Kruvim consisted of so they wouldn't ask any questions. Interesting answer, right? That's from the Tzorah Mor. The Miyam Lois adds, especially after the Egel Azov, obviously, after the people had done the Egel Azov, where they knew that something was wrong, to mention the Kruvim to everyone was going to be strange to anyone. They wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't get it. So therefore, he didn't say That's exactly what the Moab and the Ma'amonim did when they found the Aron Kodesh afterward, if the Aron Kodesh wasn't hidden by Yoshia at the time when they, you know, at the end of the first base to make those. If Moab and Ammon came in, they saw the Aron Kodesh, they took it out, they saw the Kruvim, and they showed it to everybody saying, look, this is what they have in the Kodesh HaKadashim. There's another version of this in which they saw the Kuruvim that were on top of the Parochas. They were Ma'urin Zebazeh, and that's what they were showing everybody, and everybody knows that one. This is another one. It's mentioned in Eicha Rabbah in the introduction, in the Hakdama, in Eicha Rabbah that says they took out those Kuruvim, they showed it to everybody. Again, only if Yoshia wasn't there. But that's an interesting thing to point out that the Torah more says. It does mention the Kruvim for this reason. The parties Yosef says there's another remez in the Pasuk. This is the last one we're going to deal with in this Pasuk. Where the Pasuk says the word Brichav, which is spelled without a Vav, but read as if there's a vav. It really says uh, yud, I should say. It's bricho, is how you read it in the Pasuk itself. And yet we read it as brichav, it's bars. So says the Paris Yosef, based on the Meshachachma, he says this hints to the Briachatichon. There was one bar that went in. Remember the Krushim, where all the beans were like this and went like that and then like this, right? There was a bar that held them all together. That bar may have been one single bar and miraculously it went through all the way, even though obviously it's metal, it shouldn't bend, but it was called the Briach HaTichon, it was miraculous, and it went all the way through, all the way through. Now, in Parshish Pekude, and Perak Lamed Tes, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, does the same, and it's spelled Bricho, but it's read Brichov. 
that's the exact same thing, to hint to this briach atichon, a very special briach, that miraculous briach, the bar that was in there. Only when they set up the Mishkan for the first time in Perak Mem, Pasigirchas, that's when it says brichav with a yud. Because at that point, Moshe Rabbeinu could do it, yet it had to, he couldn't do it himself. It had to snake its way in on its own. It already was the special briach that was there. Okay, what, let's go into the next Pasig now. Now, the next Pasig, I'm skipping a little bit. We're going to Pasig Chav. It says, Vayetsu koladas b'nei Yisrael milifnei Moshe. All of B'nai Yisrael left from before Moshe. After Moshe Rabbeinu told them, this is what you're going to make. He goes to the Mishkan, the Ol, etc. And he goes to all the different Kalim that they're going to make. It says, Vayetsu koladas b'nei Yisrael milifnei Moshe. Everybody left from in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. What in the world is this Pasuk telling us? That they left from before Moshe Rabbeinu. Were they supposed to stand there? They were supposed to stay there forever? They were going to stand in front of Moshe Rabbeinu? Of course they left. You need a Pusik to come and tell me a wasted Pusik Hashem to say that they left from in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. What did you think? They were going to wait until for Come on. So the Ibn Ezra says, the fact that all of B'nai Yisrael left the Olmoid shows us they were all there at one point. He says they gathered in different groups, otherwise they wouldn't be able to hear Moshe Rabbeinu, but there were different groups. One group went in, and then another group went in, then another group went in, but everybody had come, and they all left from in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe not at the same time, at different times, but they all left listening to the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Tzur Amor says this is a raya of a place that was a, a small place that was able to fit a lot of people. They didn't go in a group by group, as the Ibn Ezra says, says the Tzur Amor. They went every, everybody went in at once. Hivayakel Moshe says everybody came at once, which is shot in the Pasuk, the Ibn Ezra, which is the Pashtun, is saying something which is a little strange. It's not what it sounds like. But he says they went all at once, and it was a miracle. And the miracle was that they all fit into a small little place. The Torah Shlema in number 65 says we already knew that the Mishkan was able to hold a lot of people in a small amount of space. We knew that. The base of Mikdash as well. That's something that we knew, that Mu'at, the Mu'at, was able to be Machsik the Meruba. That we already knew. The Chiddush here is that the Oel of Moshe Rabbeinu was able to fit that many people. That they went to the Oil of Moshe Rabbeinu and that's where Moshe Rabbeinu told them everything. That we didn't know. We had absolutely no idea that even his spot, you could have a, a, a small spot that's Machzik the Merubah. Now David Ezra says it was by the Oil Moed, so it's not that big of a Chiddush and it would be the exact same thing. Maybe that's the reason why he says it was Kitim Kitim. It was different groups, Kitos Kitos. Because in other words, there's no big Chiddush here. Of course, you could have something that's Machzik the Merubah. But according to this idea from the Torah Mor, it was in front of Moshe Rabbeinu's tent itself, in front of his Oil. And according to the Torah Shlema, maybe that's why. It was because it's telling you that even that place, even some place that's not the Mishkan, was able to do such a miracle. They say famous stories. We spoke about this earlier, I, I remember, in Parshas. Last year, I believe, in somewhere in Vayikro, we said the Chassam Sofer story that he had. He saw such a thing happen by his own base message. The Therese Yonason asked the question, he says, what does that mean, Milifne Moshe, from before Moshe, as if Moshe Rabbeinu was still there with them? She says something crazy. He says, every single person, when they left, they took a little bit of Moshe Rabbeinu with them. The Shekhinah they felt when they were talking to Moshe Rabbeinu was chal on them. They had like a spirit of nevuah that came with them wherever they went. And this is similar to what Rebbe meant. Rebbe in the Gemara in Erevin, Dafyod Gimel, said, when I saw, the reason why I became what I became is because I saw the back of Rebbe Meir. Had I seen his front, can you imagine what I would be able to accomplish? That, that Just seeing that, just seeing that little bit was so great, so amazing, it brought him to such a level. Shmuel and Avi was that great as well. Again, when the people came to see Shmuel and Avi, they already started prophesying. Even the people, like Sholamelech, Hagam Shol Benavim. Sholamelech was so impressed when he saw, he was so impressed he started to prophesy even without realizing it. Because that's the greatness of a gadol. 
when you leave Moshe Rabbeinu, you take a little bit of Moshe Rabbeinu with them. That's Vayetsu Milifnei Moshe. They took from before Moshe and grabbed it within them and held that spot. They held that within them, knowing that that's what they wanted to see, knowing that that's what they wanted to hear. That's an amazing shot from Rav Yonas and Ibshitz. Tom Vidas of Strombach says from El Yolopian, he says he used to say this Pasuk teaches us the influence of Moshe Rabbeinu and how great it was. It went beyond just hearing him speak. Even after they left Moshe Rabbeinu, they felt like Moshe Rabbeinu was in front of them. A little different from Yonatan. Yonatan says they brought Moshe Rabbeinu with them. This is the impression that Moshe Rabbeinu left is as if he was standing right there in front of them. It was almost like Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Sami. They couldn't do anything wrong. This applies to us nowadays within B'nai Torah. That B'nai Torah, the way they should be is that when they're in Yeshiva, they're in Yeshiva. When they leave Yeshiva, it should still be like they're in Yeshiva. B'nai Azmanim or B'nai Starim for that matter should be the exact same way. It should be no different when they're sitting in front of Gemara and outside. And we know the reality it's not that way. We know that. But it should be that way. We should act the same way inside and out, right? Tokel Kabaro, so to speak, to make sure that that's that. And of course, that does mean, says Rosh that it speaks volumes about a Bukhar, the way he acts outside versus the way he acts inside. It's like a countryman visiting the city. A countryman is still a countryman even if he's in the city, even if he's inside there. That's how Talmudah says it. He understands it that way. Now, the Maril, Talmud of the Noam Elimelech, says it's normal for a person to lose that cheshek that he had when he was standing in front of a gadol. You went to a gadol, you saw somebody that was a tremendous tzaddik. I remember seeing Rav Yosef, Rav Yashiv, Rav Scheinberg, right? So all that sal. I remember even Ruchain Knievsky, right? You feel something. There's a feeling. And when you leave, it's not always there. It's not always the same thing. There's a clarity of mind and spirit almost when they're there in front of a gadol, when you're in the presence of a tzaddik. But with Moshe Rabbeinu, it was different says the Maril. The clarity stayed with them even after they left as if he was standing in front of them. The same basic idea. That's something they took advantage of. And it caused them to be on a very high level all in the Midbar itself. He goes on about Yaakov Inu, but that's the idea of Yaakov Rabbeinu itself. Taurus Chaim Ve'amunah. says when Moshe Rabbeinu told B'nai Yisrael what HaKadosh Baruch Hu had said to him, he said it with such a pure heart it caused B'nai Yisrael to awaken within themselves, to be misora within themselves. Kedusha and a heart of fire. They couldn't stop. They had it on their faces. They reached a higher level. The Be'er Ma'im Chaim says down that every time B'nai Yisrael heard Moshe Rabbeinu talk, they felt the Shekhinah speaking to him. They felt the aura ganus on his face. That's why he had a mask on. And when he took it off, they couldn't, they couldn't stop looking. So over here, the big Kiddush is that they left, says the Vermeer Chaim. How could they leave? You'd want to stay there more and more and more to hear Moshe Rabbeinu. But they knew that they had a job to do. They had to finish building the Mishkan or start building the Mishkan. And they had to leave. And they knew that since the reflection of Moshe Rabbeinu is just the reflection of the Shekhinah, the actual Shekhinah was going to be by the Mishkan. That's why they ran out to go build that Mishkan. They wanted the Mishkan so badly. They ran as fast as they could to go get donations and build that Mishkan. Now, the Orachai Makadosh says they all left Ke'echod with Zrizus, alacrity, ready to donate as much as they could. Rabbi Victor Miller, as this is done immediately without delay, Moshe Rabbeinu told them, it's time for you to go, and they immediately went. It was so much happiness, so much respect. There was not a single person who felt that they couldn't bring anything. Everybody brought something. Every person was fully involved. In fact, they got up Milafanov, listen to Zorachayim Akadosh. They got up while he was still speaking. He didn't even give them permission to go yet. He hadn't, dis- he hadn't dismissed them. He just said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And the people are like, we're doing it. And they just got up and left from in front of the Rebbe while the Rebbe is just sitting there. We learn in Yuma, on Daf Nun Gimel Mabez, that when we should always take three steps back in our Shmonasi, because you can't leave your master by just running away. You can't turn your back on your master. Derek Hart's Rabba Parakeh, it says, one can't leave his Rebbe or his, even his friend without first asking him permission to leave. You can't just get up and go and walk away without saying, can I go? Do you mind if I go? B'nai Yisrael, 
when they, they understood when Moshe finished talking to them without even permitting them to leave, this is what a Baruch Hu wants for us. We're supposed to get up and go. It's almost like a level of Ava Mikalkelis's Shura. Your love just ruined everything you were trying to do. You could just stop, even though it was inappropriate. They couldn't stop themselves. It may also be that Pinay is all worried about Moshe Ben is an unbelievable Rachaim It's such an unbelievable one. It could even be that they were so worried that Moshe Ben would go home and bring all the donations that they needed himself since he was super wealthy from all the remnants of the Luchos themselves that were found underneath this tent. They left as soon as they could. They ran home to go get their stuff, to go get everything, bring donations before Moshe could do so. Again, Moshe was super rich. He had this Napier and he had this sapphire stone that was underneath his tent. He was super rich. You can imagine if Moshe Rabbeinu wanted donations for the Mishkan, he could do everything himself. He could have gone home himself. He could have said, I'm going to do everything myself. He didn't. What he did is he waited for Bnei Yisrael and Bnei Yisrael ran home. Ran home milifnei Moshe before Moshe could go home. Before Moshe could do it. He brings a riot from Rus and Perak Dalapazik Zion that lifnim means beforehand. They went home so they could donate before Moshe Rabbeinu donated. It's an unbelievable thing to beat Moshe Rabbeinu to donate. The Imre Avram says in Brachos Davav we're told not to take psios gases. You're not allowed to run from a base medrash. But, however, the reason why you're not allowed to run from a base measure is because it looks like you're running away from Hashem. But if the whole purpose of running away is in order to come back, you want to come back quicker, you want to be in there, right? Then you're allowed to do so. Although it may seem embarrassing for everyone to leave before Moshe Rabbeinu gave them permission to do so, since it was for one purpose, to come back quicker, they were allowed to run away even before Moshe Rabbeinu stopped speaking. So when Moshe Rabbeinu said, all right, this is what we need, as soon as he said that, they ran out so they could come back immediately and bring their nations. And that was a mitzvah. It's like running out of shoal in order to come back as soon as you can. Ramosha Feinstein says, this is the power of what we call zrizus, of zrizin makdim and mitzvahs. Even though they could have stayed to learn more about the mitzvah or the mishkan, they realized that this was the time to go bring their donations as soon as possible. They could have stayed. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu had more to say. Maybe there were other mitzvahs they could have learned. Maybe there were other things. You're staring at Moshe Rabbeinu. Again, Moshe Rabbeinu's face is the Shechina. Nonetheless, their job is to build the Mishkan. And they understood it immediately. And even though it wasn't going to be made immediately, it wouldn't be finished until Chafei Kislev, it wasn't going to be set up until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Nonetheless, they understood the command required them to go home and do it with Zrizus and do it right now. Says Ramosha Feinstein, Kavah Homer for every mitzvah, which we can accomplish right now. This mitzvah isn't going to be accomplished for another couple months, and yet they ran to do it. Every mitzvah should be that way, that we should get up and run, and that's what we learn from this. Aznayim Latorah says, <laughs> learned such a funny lesson from this. He says, sometimes when a Rav gets up and says everyone has to donate to a certain cause, right? You'll have people there who say, eh, it's not that important. I had a situation here in my shul where the roof was leaking. The roof was leaking. It was a $98,000 fix. That was the cheapest job that we could get, $98,000. So I had to go to everybody in shul. And people are telling me it's not that big of a deal. There were buckets in shoal that we had to fill with paper towels so it wouldn't make noise when the drips came down in the bucket. And we had like 12 buckets throughout the shoal. But it's not that big of a deal. When you try to go around and you try to, give an, you try to say, I'm trying to raise money for this, that, or the other, everyone will come up with it. I shouldn't say everyone. There are people that will come up with an excuse and they'll say, it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. If it's such a big deal, usually because the dripping is happening right on their seat, on their stender, so if it's that big of a deal, then they can't excuse themselves by saying it's not that big of a deal anymore. They can't do that. So what do they do instead? There are some people, as the Torah said, there are some people that make themselves busy. What do they do? They become the gaboyim. They go collecting from other people. They make sure that all the chesh bonos are taken out. They make these signs and posters and this and that and the other to make sure that everybody's donating. And in their business, while they're so busy making sure that this and that and this gets done... They themselves never donated. They just forgot. 
L'shem Shemayim they forgot. They meant to do it in the best way, but they're so busy, they just kind of forgot to donate themselves, didn't realize. There were no fools like that, says the Oznayim Torah, right, among B'nai Yisrael in the Midbar. Every single one of them got up, gave their donation, not a single person, even the Gabayim, they ran, they got their donation, they gave it. Whether it was a lot or a little, they all gave something. Everybody gave at least a Chatzis Shekel, and obviously you can imagine, everybody gave something. That's what it was. They were... No one took it up there first. And therefore, the Aznayim Torah says, that's the way we have to donate. That's the way it should be. The Torah Mor says they left super happy. They were told they were going to have a kapara for the Egel Azov. They were told that the Mishkan was going to be a kapara for them. They were happy to hear that the Shekhinah was going to be returning to them. They didn't know if they were ever going to see the Shekhinah again, if they were going to have that feeling ever again because of what happened with the Egel Azov. Now that they knew that the gold, even those who had donated gold directly to the Egel Azov, they were going to get a kapara by being able to donate to the Mishkan, that was amazing for them. They were all happy. Every single one of them was happy. And they went out with that happiness. Rabbi Victor Miller calls it the happiest time that our nation has ever had. Not just in the midboard, but of any time in history. The entire nation was engaged, I'm quoting him, in a united effort to create the Mishkan of Hashem. We've never had a situation like this where no one messed up, where everyone in B'nai Yisrael was involved. Everyone was super happy. Everyone did it with Zerizos. Everybody did it in Nadiv Leib. They were all good. We've never had a situation like this. It was the greatest moment in the history of Klau Yisrael, of the Mishkan itself. The Miyam Lois in the shop says, obviously, they were all there. It says, Vayakel Moshe, in the beginning of the Parsha. What it means by over here, Milifnei Moshe, they left Milifnei Moshe, is this teaches us that Moshe Rabbeinu told them to go see what other people were doing. Listen to this, Medrash. He said to them, go see what other people are doing so that you'll want to do it too. He said, just go, just see what they're doing, that's that. The people rejected that. They said, chas v'shalom. We're doing it because of ourselves. We don't want to do it as out of jealousy or gaiva or embarrassment. They went home and didn't look at each other, didn't ask one another. They went home and brought whatever they thought was the best thing to bring, and it was way more than enough. That's what they did over here. So that's the idea. They left Moshe, milifnei Moshe, when Moshe was telling them, guys, maybe you should see what the other people are doing. They left Moshe, and they said, no way. We're not doing that. We're not doing what you're telling us to do. It's the only thing they didn't listen to Moshe on. They wanted to do it on their own. <clears throat> Not because they felt they needed it from somebody else. The Chidah says the only thing they were masking him to was that the Gedolim were donating first. That's why it says, Kol Ish Asher Neso Libo, followed by Kol Ish Asher Nadvarucho. Neso Libo was a high hearted, like a, a greater person, and then Nadvarucho, anybody was that. Everybody was hurrying and everybody wanted to bring something, but they allowed the Tzadikim to bring it first. And I realized the steer over here because technically <laughs> they, they wanted to bring first, but they allowed Moshe Rabbeinu not to bring. They wanted to bring before Moshe Rabbeinu. But I think the idea is that they all knew the only person who could bring everything forward was Moshe Rabbeinu. They said, we're not going to let him. That was by Moshe Rabbeinu. But everybody else, they allowed the Gedolim to go first. The Moshe Zakanim wonders something very strange here. He wonders how it could be that everyone left at this time to go bring their donations if Parshas Vayakel seems like it was told to them on Shabbos and possibly Yom Kippur. Now granted, Mimacharas HaShabbos is the day after Yom Kippur. But it's possible that this happened on Shabbos and Yom Kippur itself. How could they have brought anything back on Shabbos and Yom Kippur? Moshe Zakenu says, Tzorachian. He has absolutely no idea. You can't carry, obviously, on Yom Kippur. How could that happen? Tzofnas Paneach, the rugged shover, he brings up this way. He says, most certainly was on Yom Kippur. He says, Tainus Lamin and says it was Yom Kippur when they were told about the Mishkan for the very first time. Tosas and Shabbos, Sadi Vav says in the name of Rabbeinu Hananel, he learns that Hotzah is a malacha from this because they brought the things in the Mishkan that was called the malacha on Shabbos itself. But how could they have done this on Yom Kippur? How could they have done it on Shabbos if it happened on Shabbos? 
he suggests, Sofnas Paneach, that the area they were in may have been considered Roshas Yachid. How? It may have been a certain valley all around in which they made with little walls around it, even though they had a huge people, I mean, three million people there, it's possible that's that. Torah Shlema and Parshish Yisrael, Parak Tezvav and his Miluim, Simen Yud Beis, says that Klau Yisrael, at the time they were at Harsinai, was considered a Rishus HaYachid, not a Rishus HaRabim. When they made it into a Rishus HaYachid with a wall around them in some way, shape, or form. So that's a possibility why they were able to carry. Otherwise, it's a real Shiloh if you go with the opinion that this was on Yom Kippur or on Shabbos itself, you got a real problem. So what we did was, we went through two psukim. We went through the Mishkan, what the Mishkan was and everything in it and everything like that. And we also talked about what it means to leave from in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. Stop with that, everybody. Have a great